0: Now, the interesting thing in our passage we're going to see tonight is that the emphasis doesn't fall on God's power and grace in the event, but it falls upon the people's faith in passing through on dry ground. Note Hebrews 11, verse 29, if you'll turn there. When we read the Exodus narrative, we certainly don't come away thinking this was a great faith event on behalf of of the Israelites, or the people. We are captivated by the awesome, incredible power of God. So the hero of the Red Sea event is God. We get that when we read Exodus, but notice what the Word of God says. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do, say, do the same, were drowned. Now, Notice that the writer focuses on the faith of the people. Some estimate the number of Israelites that passed over were 2 million. That's a lot of people. Uh, It was certainly not, even though it says in one point they were ready for battle, they were certainly not an army, military-laden type of group ready to fight a war. They were gathered mainly as 2 million people with uh, men, women, and boys and girls, and they had a bunch of Egyptian jewelry. you remember the story? And they had other belongings thrown over their shoulders, and here they are heading out, and this is the way the Exodus describes it. Let's take our copy of God's Word. Isn't it great to study the Testaments together? Because we know that in the Old, the New is concealed, and in the New, the Old is revealed. Right? So, obviously, the writer of Hebrews is addressing this particular narrative of Exodus chapter 13. Let's let's read beginning in verse 17 to get the picture. So, by faith, the people of Israel crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground, yet the Egyptians crossed and were drowned. Got that in your mind? By faith. This is the great faith chapter. 1317, the Bible says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they cease war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel day and by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people before them. So he's leading them day and night in a miraculous way, and things look extremely great at this point. Does it not? They're free, and they're rich, and they're on their way to the promised land. However, in chapter 14, God will sovereignly create another faith moment. They needed one more faith moment. And notice that it is God who creates this. You have to appreciate it. All is going well, and God says, turn around. Chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back. Encamp in front of Pihar hiroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Bel Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are just simply wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them up, and I will harden who's at work here. He tells them to turn back. He's the one hardening Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So what is the Lord doing? We knew we had a little bit of stuff going on this morning. I never heard that, but I'm off, aren't I? Okay. All right. Okay, good deal. So the Lord is doing all of this. And what is he doing? He's hemming them up unto faith. That's his goal here. Uh, It's going to require a lot more faith in the Lord at this point. It's going to have to be exercised here in the Exodus. Notice what the scripture says beginning in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said... What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped at the sea at Pai-ha-hiroth in front of Baal zephon So, think about this. The Egyptians say, you know what? We've just lost our meal ticket. We have uh, lost our labor force. And it's going to affect our economy greatly. Let's go back and get them. So, the people are camping out. And they began in verse 10 to notice something's about to happen. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? It's not like a group of Baptists, doesn't it? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness... And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now, the dust is coming. They know that it's stirring. They know that Pharaoh is on his way, and it's not going to take long for them to overtake them. But here's the deal. God is still in control, correct? Correct. All right, now remember, what does Hebrews 11 say? By faith, the people. Now just consider for a moment, uh, hearing the sound of the chariots coming your way, they're rumbling toward you, and they know they're coming, and what is the natural thing to do? Now the first thing you're going to do is cry out. And I guess the second natural thing you're going to do is complain. And that's exactly what happens here. It's interesting. It's interesting. They have all this jewelry and they have all this freedom. They have the sovereign God of the universe guiding them by day and by night. And yet, at this point, they say, Egypt really wasn't that bad. Right? They, they began to mock Moses and basically say, it was, we were just as well off making bricks without straw. Doesn't seem to be that difficult at this point. Uh, we're going to die in the wilderness. In fact, did we not tell you, Moses, to leave us alone? And let us stay in Egypt. I don't think they have a faith that was envied at this point. Do you? So there's no way you're going to read Exodus uh, chapter 13. Beginning in verse 17. And come away with the first thought. Had you not read Hebrews 11. That there was anything here about great faith. They have sea before them. They have Pharaoh's army behind them. And God has shut them up unto faith. He's hemmed them in. He left them no way of escape save divine intervention. There's no way. They can't go left. They can't go right. They can't do anything there at all. There was no help on the left or on the right, and there wasn't any helicopters. So they're in trouble. If there's going to be deliverance, if there's going to be salvation, it's going to have to come from God and God alone. Now, should we despair in 2020 when things look terrible? As God's people, should we? Remember, again, it's actually God that is in control of Pharaoh. God is in control of Pharaoh's army. And he's also in control of where the Israelites actually camped out. Is that not clear? He has the whole thing planned out. And it's going exactly the way God intended for it to go. Does that surprise anybody? Does it surprise you that it's going exactly the way God had planned it to go? Just remember... Oh, boy, if we could ever remember this. When you're bumping into every piece of furniture in your life, and you're breaking your toes, and you're skinning up your knees, I want to remind you that it's God Almighty in 2020 that's rearranged the furniture for a purpose. It's not an accident if you belong to Him. Are y'all listening? You kind of got this dumbfounded look. I'm telling you, folks, it's the Lord God who rearranged the furniture in Exodus 13. Take off this way. Now stop. Turn around and go back. Uh, let's let's stop right here. Let's 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 harden Pharaoh's heart so he'll go after you. That wasn't the plan to begin with, right? Pharaoh had no desire. He was like, "I am so glad that these Israelites are out of here." Right, uh, folks. This happened after the tenth plague. And mercy, right? Wave the white flag. Uh, my kid's dead. All my cattle, firstborn, they're dead. Every, I mean, it's the death of the firstborn. And so, God is behind the scene working. Right? Now, this is what we see next in verse 13. Don't you love this? Get my eyes to focus. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. I love the ending. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. What do you think about, what do you think when you read this? I kind of think Moses is basically saying, God's going to take care of this, so shut up. You know, Let's be honest. He (laughs) said, be silent. You, You know God has been in control from day one. And God has this. Now, at this point, fear and faith are on opposite ends of the spectrum. What you need to do is stand still. God will fight for you. God will demonstrate his salvation. Moses, at this point, must have been saying, what am I supposed to do? Right? Why are you crying out to me? Just go forward. Do the people... The people of God knew exactly what God was calling them to do. They didn't have to stop and say, let me pray about it before we step across. Right? And I think we all need to think about that as well. You need to stop pausing at times and say, well, let me pray about something. When something is revealed to you directly from the Word of God, you are called by God to obey. Immediately, move forward. Now, again, uh, in the narrative, it seems that it was Moses who was standing in the gap for the people. Is that not true? It seems like it is Moses who is demonstrating the faith. But Hebrews says, Hebrews says it was the people. I mean, they're panic-stricken. If you read Exodus 13, they're scared out of their minds. And Moses turns around and does exactly what God says to do, beginning in verse 16, 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all the hosts, his chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So, if you look at this logically, right, did they have a lot of choices? Did they? They could have uh, stood still and could have been slaughtered. They could have fled and been slaughtered. They didn't really have any options. But Moses is saying, let's go forward. And sometimes God puts us where we are as an exhibition of our faith. And it's not a remarkable thing. Did y'all know that? Sometimes the only thing we can do is just trust Him simply. I guess He has so much compassion on His children that he says, look what they did by faith, even though it is very small. He's still pleased with his children. It's like on Father's Day or Mother's Day, or in particular my birthday, and my kids want to buy me something, and I actually give them the money to go buy me something. And then when you get this, you're like, wow, that's just the most fantastic. I'm so grateful for that present that you gave me. Uh, It's the best thing I've ever... I've ever gotten and I think in many ways our Heavenly Father does the same thing he puts us in a position where we have no choice but to exercise faith no choice but to move forward and then he turns right around and says I love that faith yet it was God who did it all along and that is not by accident God is sovereign he's orchestrating all of this to get glory so they moved forward simply on His Word. Check this out. They moved forward simply by God's Word. And what were they doing? They were banking all of their hope on the Word of God. This is what God said He was going to do. Listen to the cheery note at the end of Hebrews eleven twenty-nine, 29. And all the Egyptians drowned. Wow. Kind of cheery, huh? Uh, Israel's salvation was e- Egypt's. Israel's salvation was Egypt's judgment. Did y'all notice that in the text? Do you know that in God's word, judgment and salvation are always related? When God saves his people, it is always through judgment. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? This is nowhere demonstrated more than on the cross of Christ, where the Lord Jesus Christ took your place, which is ultimately the Total pinnacle of redemptive history. This narrative of Egypt obviously foreshadows our eternal redemption through Jesus Christ the Lord, which is now where I'm headed, right, in this sermon. But it's just not redemption, it is also judgment. You do understand that on the cross of Christ, He was bearing your judgment that you deserved. He was actually bearing the judgment of the Father. And it's through that judgment that we receive salvation. The Israelites experience salvation, but God is judging their enemies. This is an amazing, but the text is true. It's an amazing thing to think about, but it's true. Mm. It's kind of like an experience for them, is it not? Two million Israelites passed through, but the Egyptians are like, Hey, let's experiment. Maybe we can do this too. That looks pretty cool. They, they crossed over. Why can't we cross over? So I guess Pharaoh gets on his iPhone and he says, what do you say? Let's give it a try. I've never seen anybody pass through the Red Sea, but hey, they did it. So can we. But Exodus tells us that their chariot wheels bogged down. They began to swerve. And God waited until the entire army was in the seabed before he separated the seas. Then God on the spot closed up the waters, and they all drowned. An amazing, powerful uh, depiction of how awesome our God is. The God on, our God on the spot did this. When the children of Israel saw this, the Bible says that they began to celebrate God's deliverance. Great is the Lord Almighty. He is God. He is Lord indeed. And when you read Exodus 15 and 16, you're going to have songs by Moses and his sister Miriam that are going to be reflective of the incredible exodus and the redemption that took place. Not only that, the exodus is going to be celebrated annually in what's called the Passover, when the fathers would sit down and they would tell their children the story of the exodus. They would talk about the great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who parted the Red Sea for their fathers. They would speak of the one who closed up the Red Sea in judgment, fulfilling his promise to the Israelites. God had redeemed his people. So this event of the Red Sea crossing crossing would be woven into the very fabric of community life for the Israelites for millenniums. It It would happen. As a matter of fact, it would become a pattern of God's deliverances in the future. This is important. It becomes a prototype of God's redeeming acts when He would deliver and rescue His people. There are over 120 explicit references to the Exodus in the law, in the historical books, in the Psalms, and in the prophets. Isn't that amazing? 120 explicit references. The people, we read the Bible in the prophets, in the Psalms, in the historical books, and they're consistently pointing back, to the point when God separated the waters and delivered his people. What did it do for the people? It gave them security and it gave them hope. They kept the glorious track record of our God before the people all the time. That he promised this and that he actually did this. He separated the waters, he delivered the people, it gave them a sense of security and hope. I think that's a good word for 2020. If God can do this, then he can take care of us, can he not? It would, it would shape the Israelites' life. It would also be a basis for future hope for the Israelites. When God reveals to the prophets that He will liberate His people, what does He remind them of again and again? you remember what happened in the Exodus? God divided the waters. This is over and over and over in the Word of God. So this reality is, is a reality in the Old Testament, but it's not lost in the New Testament either. It is going to point... To the greatest act of redemption in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the ultimate trajectory of the Red Sea crossing is it points to the greatest act of redemption. Which was accomplished in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, you remember when Jesus instituted the the, uh, Lord's Supper? What did he do? Well... He's going to talk about this is going to be a memorial to his death. And he was observing that particular understanding with his disciples on Passover. And it's not an accident that they celebrate it. And Jesus goes through the Passover celebration and actually reenacts it as pointing to his own death. That's so significant for us. His death is to be remembered at the Lord's Supper, which is connected to the Passover. In Luke 9, when uh, Luke gives his version of the transfiguration, you all remember that? Uh, When Christ is transfigured before them, he is uh, seen in all of his glory for a limited time for them. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they are carrying on a conversation. And Luke tells us that Christ was speaking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And the Greek passage here says that he's speaking regarding his exodus. Isn't that awesome? He's speaking of a departure, but it's way more than just leaving out of this life. Christ was going to accomplish the exodus on behalf of his people through going to the cross. Even Jesus is making that connection with the exodus. This is why these awesome Old Testament terms of redemption are picked up and applied to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that make the word of God so incredibly fascinating? Amen. And people belittle the word and add their traditions to it. Whether you're Greek Orthodox or Jehovah witnesses or whatever cult may be out there, let it be known that we believe in the Bible. Period. No additions, no subtractions. We believe in thus, saith the Lord. Why? Because his own self-authenticity is absolutely amazing. Right? It does. It's his own best commentary, is it not? So, Jesus uh, has before us, uh, picking up the terminology. So, if you were an Old Testament Jew and someone said redemption, guess what they would have in mind? What would it be? It would be the exodus. It would be uh, their thoughts would run back to the exodus, that great redemption of the Old Testament. Now, today, we have redemption through his blood, right? The remission of our sins. Today, redemption is not simply deliverance from the house of bondage, which they were in. It is deliverance from our sins, remission of our sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say to the believers in Colossae, Listen, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Think about those concepts. Liberation, freedom from bondage. And actually, they're taken from Egypt. But ultimately, we're talking about freedom from sin and the devil's house. Right, Which is an awesome blessing. Christ offers himself up and defeats our foes. The Bible says he overcomes the principalities and the powers and puts them to open shame. Colossians 2.15. He leads his children into a glorious procession, a glorious freedom. So when we, when we the people, when the people exited the sea, right... Not only were they liberated people, but they were actually new people. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through through 2. Why were they new people? They were no longer slaves. Are you thinking? When they're liberated, when they're taken out of that, they're liberated. Now, this is really the picture of what water baptism is for, correct? Did y'all know that? Uh, We don't think about it too often. But in the early church, there was actually a ritual that would take place when people were baptized. Baptism, of course, in the early church was by immersion. Hello? Not sprinkling, uh, but by immersion. A person would go into some sort of tank or stone structure, and then they would actually be wearing their old work clothes, uh, their work of the day, work of the world type clothing, and the pastor or the deacon would take them under the water, symbolizing the union that they had in Christ's death as being buried with him by baptism, and when they came up out of the water, someone would put a white robe and place it on them. Isn't that awesome? It would symbolize that the old was passing away and that all things had become new. This was the picture. It's through the waters of judgment. We don't think about that when we see baptism do we we don't think about the waters of judgment but peter did first peter 3 it is the same connotation when noah passing through the flood waters of judgment glorious picture was emerging of a new person right if you got church of christ friends and they would argue that first peter 3 context you see baptism is what saves right I want to ask you a question. How much water actually touched Noah? You got them right there, right? That's not the emphasis here. The emphasis is the water and the boat. More importantly, the ark of salvation, amen, is what actually delivered Noah from the judgment waters. It's good to find things in context, right? It is. So the Exodus, God's mightiest act of redemption in the Old Testament points us forward to the cross of Christ, God's mightiest act of redemption for all time. So what did those Israelites need in order to take part in that great redemption uh, as given to us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29? What did they need, folks? Say it. They needed faith. That's exactly what they needed. Now, this is not great faith here. Does anybody want to argue that point? I mean, you just read the same thing I read. These people were fickle, fruity, uh, blaming Moses, not wanting to obey. So what did they need? They needed faith. Mm. It's not anything that would stand out to me that they had great faith. But I think God counts that kind of faith as really good and you, as you become a partaker of His redemption. So today, it is faith. And by faith alone, that anyone can become a partaker of the greatest act of redemption, which is also in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in order to have your sins forgiven and your life changed, you don't have to have great faith. All you have to do is have this little bitty mustard seed type faith. It's the kind of faith that says, you know what? I'm a perpetual mess. Anybody come to that point in your life? Right? And I can't save myself. Why? Because I'm a sinner and I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. We're quoting the Bible, right? What else am I supposed to do? Here's the good news. You can trust Christ. You can trust Jesus. Why not do it now? Uh, we don't say that much on Sunday nights, do we? Well, we assume that everybody that comes back on Sunday night is saved. And perhaps that's the case. But what else do you want to do? Do you want to keep running and ruining and destroying your life? You want to keep being your own boss? Being your own God? How's that working out for you? I guarantee you it doesn't work out well. What else are we supposed to do, folks? Here it is, the command. Follow Jesus. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. Embrace Him as the one who died to set you free. Embrace Him as the one who bore your penalty on the cross. Embrace Him who is the only one that can give life. He's done it all. So bank your hope in Him. If you are to be justified and washed and cleansed and forgiven, you must believe in Christ through faith and put your total trust in Jesus only to be saved. Right? It is that life in Christ that is gloriously symbolized in water baptism. And it's marvelously memorialized in the Lord's Supper. We do this often at church, don't we? And that's why I have a conviction that the Lord's Supper is vitally important. And it kind of, kind of grieves you a little bit when you go to do the Lord's Supper and half the church body is just AWOL. And we don't really think about how important it is to do the lord's supper. The bread and the cup is a gift that Jesus gave the church to do in remembrance of him. As you hold that bread, we are mindful of his redeeming work on our behalf. As you hold that cup, you think about the shed blood wherein there is no remission. There has been remission for my sins, right? It has been paid for. Uh, there is no remission of my sins without the shedding of blood. That's what you're saying when you hold that up, right? Sins are forgiven. So, and in many ways, as we partake of the bread, drink the cup, we're saying that we are satisfied in Jesus only, and He's the only one that could save us by grace through faith. He's mine, and I am His. Uh, Many comments have been made about a couple Sunday nights ago when we had the Lord's Supper in the fellowship hall, where it was more intimate, and we thought about those things. But ultimately, we are saying that Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper is our only hope. Period, right? He bore that penalty that we all deserved on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could have peace with God. And when we do so, we're celebrating that glorious, atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And I don't know what you call that, but I call it amazing grace and amazing love that the Lord would love us. So, going into 2020, I just want you to think about faith. You you remember the mustard seed analogy. And we look at Exodus and we think, my goodness. Uh, the writer of Hebrews has given them a prop up because when you read uh, Genesis, I mean, Exodus 13, you're thinking, no way. But that faith was a faith to believe God and His Word, uh, to do exactly what God said, to follow, to believe what the Word of God said, to put your faith and trust in Jesus only as the only way. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the reminder today of faith. Lord, absolute, total trust in you, Lord Jesus, and what you did for us, the greatest act of redemption. Um, Lord, every single one of them in the Bible, they're incredible. Whether it's the lion's den, or whether it's the fiery furnace, or whatever other kind of incredible deliverance. Uh, The Red Sea Crossing, all of them point the incredible uh, peak redemptive act of the Lord Jesus, where he bore our sins and and bore the judgment of you, Lord God, upon himself in order for us to be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for the faith that you give us to believe and to obey and to trust Jesus only for our salvation. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, uh, let's have a time of invitation, Brother David will lead us, and uh, maybe we need to just pause and ask the Lord to help us move forward, to believe, right? To have faith, to trust the Lord, to know He's sovereign, and maybe uh, you already know that 2020 hemmed up faith position that you are in, and it's a difficult situation, but I want you to know that we've got a God who is a delivering God, and one also who's in control of all things. He wants you to trust Him. Amen? Let's sing.